The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. My boys are still in the stage where they don't walk gracefully. In fact, they stomp like little elephants all around our house, making as much noise as possible. And it's almost cliche, but they go outside, they play in the mud, and you know where this is going. They run all over the house on the carpet. And we're a family that's like, take off your shoes when you come in. And they make messes, they leave messes. I mean, not exactly what you describe as walking gracefully. And I bet that every one of you have stories, moments, regrets, where you know you didn't walk gracefully, you stepped in it, and then you took it wherever you went, and you left it like a mess all over your life and the life of others. So what is it? Maybe you think you got away with it, but if you got punished for it, or if you got in trouble for it, you'd kind of think, yeah, I deserved that. Now, Honestly, I could share more stories like I already have throughout various different sermons of how I've stepped in it and then I've brought what I got on me, like a mess around my life and the life of others. And you would laugh and you'd appreciate that I was sharing my stories with you. And and some of you, if you've been around Lifehouse before, you've heard some of those stories, how, how I've stepped in it, didn't walk gracefully, walked where I shouldn't have walked and brought the mess with me. But I would describe my life like this. I'm a poor beggar who got the key to a storage unit, and when I opened it up, I found an unlimited treasure, meaning no matter how much you spend, there's always more than enough, and I just want to tell anyone and everyone where the key is and how to get into the treasure chest that you could be as wildly rich as I am. Now, I hope you're already assuming that I'm not talking about physical riches. That's right. I just feel like a poor beggar who found the storehouse of treasure. I want to share that with everybody. So let me introduce you to another poor beggar, a guy that you would readily agree deserved what he should have gotten. His name is John, but he was born in 1725. The world was very different in 1725. For John, he lost his mom early, meaning he was very young when he lost his mom. His dad was a sailor, and so he went into the the same trade. Uh, What was a little bit different about John was that his life was an absolute mess, maybe because he lost his mom at a young age. I don't know, but his life was a mess. He was a raging drunk. He was wildly violent, and he was hated, it was said, by almost everyone of his shipmates. And he worked on a slave trade ship. When you're hated by people working in the slave trade industry, you must be a bad guy. Uh, In fact, he, he was so bad that he was, he was, you know, he, you heard the term like curse like a sailor. I mean, that probably came from guys like John. He, his language was so foul that the captain of the ship referred to his cursing uh, this way. He said that he exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. I thought, wow, that's quite a statement about the way someone speaks. 
Uh, and, and not only that, but he was hateful. He was rebellious to the point that the ca- at one time, the captain had him stripped naked and flogged in front of 350 sailors and men on the ship. He was embarrassed. He was angry. So angry, so imagine a wildly violent, raging drunk who gets angry. Uh, he decided that he was going to murder the captain and then take his own life. On the day when he was going to murder the captain, um, a storm broke out. In fact, wait, I have to give you one more little piece because it's important that you don't miss this. Uh, another time before this, before this storm, um, he falls overboard on the ship. And just to give you an idea of how much he was hated. He falls overboard, and instead of someone throwing him a life preserver, you know what his shipmates did? They threw harpoons at him. They were trying to kill him after he fell overboard. Okay, that's this guy, right? So now he's going to murder the the captain and then take his own life. But the day he was going to do this, a crazy storm I mean, a horrible storm hit the ship so badly that everyone thought they were going to die. In fact, his best friend on the ship, probably his only friend, um, actually got swept overboard or got blown overboard by the wind and never seen again, perished in the sea. And, And as you can imagine, for John, this was horrifying, and he's desperate, figures his life is going to end, and he's at the point of his greatest fear that he's ever experienced. Now, I share that story because, you know, you hear a story about a guy like John who's everything about him makes you not like him. In fact, makes you hate him, makes you believe that whatever happens to him, he probably deserves. I mean, he's working on a slave ship. In fact, his best friend that gets knocked overboard, it's hard to have pity on the guy. Maybe, maybe him getting knocked overboard was the answer to one of the slave's prayers. Okay, so with that in mind, to look at our own lives and say, we're all John. We've all got stories of where we didn't walk gracefully. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We went places we shouldn't have gone. We've said things we shouldn't have said. We've plotted and planned things we shouldn't have plotted and planned. And as a result, if we sow the wind, we reap the whirlwind. We, if, if whatever consequence we get, we're gonna say, yep, saw that coming. Probably should have gotten worse. And... So what do you do with this? A life where, I'm not saying our whole life, but I'm saying there's aspects of our life where we just kind of know we're gonna get. We either should get what we have coming, and if we don't, we think we got away with something. Let me introduce you to another group of poor beggars. The church in the city of Ephesus. Now, think about the church of Ephesus, and the church in Corinth. So there's letters written to them. They're in the Bible. It's called the letter to the Ephesians, the letters to the Corinthians. Um, Ephesus and Corinth are like ancient versions of Vegas. Okay, now I'm talking Vegas at its worst. Okay, these cities are cities of sexual experimentation, exploitation, human trafficking, abuse, taking advantage of wealth, but wealth being weaponized to take advantage of others. And so imagine just a whole demographic of people, this whole city with this kind of a culture. The apostle Paul shows up, he begins to tell people about Jesus, and a lot of people begin to believe in Jesus, the challenge is that when they show up, they bring their old lifestyle with them into the church. And so you have a bunch of people in the church who kind of look back on their life and sometimes they laugh about it and they smile about it. 
And it's hard for them to change their ways, even though now they're in church and they believe in Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul, who started that church, writes a letter back to the church. And in it, chapter two, he writes this. Now he's just reminding them of kind of how they were all Johns at one point. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What he's saying is, look, there was, there was a time when you were a slave controlled by spiritual powers that were manipulating you to do wrong things and tricked you into not only doing wrong things, but believing that the things you were doing were things you wanted to do. Meaning you, you were driven by transgressions and sins, a fractured spiritual instinct to want to do the wrong things, which makes you an easy puppet to the puppet master of evil. He said, okay, that, that's where you and I were at. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, meaning we gave in to those desires. We did what we want. Again, like John, gratifying the cravings uh, and the desires, uh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, meaning we deserved punishment. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul specifically uses the word transgressions and sins. It's the same idea. One means to aim for the wrong thing and hit it. The other means to aim for the right thing and fall short. But the point is, both times you did the wrong thing. You missed the right target and you hit the wrong target. So the idea here is he continues and he goes like this, you and I deserve what we're getting. And what we're getting, he said, this is sin. Sin is a spiritual brokenness, a spiritual death inside of every one of us that stirs desires that are wrong. And it leads to a forever far from God. In essence, you could say that we're gonna get blown off the ship, perish in the sea, and we deserve it. And then he continues and he says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Here's the thing. Let me give you a, an important nugget, a thought from reading that. <laughs> you don't just need God, you need grace. If you say, I need God, well, in the situation of John's friend, God may be pouring out judgment for wrongdoing. John deserves what God will give and God punishes sin. And you and I can live our lives knowing that we're, we're living under the gavel of God's punishment. I mean, we're, we're just waiting for the, the other shoe to fall. We're waiting to be crushed under the judgment of God. And some of you, you've, you've avoided church for a long time uh, because you, you expect to be judged. You expect to be condemned. You, you're, you're living your life feeling like other people are judging and condemning you. So you and I, we, we don't just need God because with God comes judgment. What we need is grace. Now, grace only comes from God. What we need is God's rich generosity toward us when we deserve the worst. So let me give you the key. 
Don't just get grace, live grace. Now, the word grace is a noun, but it's not meant to be something you get. It's meant to be something you live. It's, it's meant to be lived out as a verb, meaning you live with and in, and you participate in grace. Grace is something that you, you experience and you encounter. It changes you. So grace is simply the riches of God, the riches of God's generosity. Let me, let me share with you uh, a little bit more of John's story because it kind of really helps point to this idea of getting grace and not just getting grace, but living grace. John, you know, his friend gets blown overboard and uh, he's desperate. He cries out to God in that moment. The same God that he had been blaspheming, he desperately cries out to and he survives. Not only does he survive, the ship survives, his, his shipmates survive. And later he's reflecting on the fact that when he cried out to God in passionate desperation, God heard him and saved him. He, he begins to read the Bible. He begins to turn his life around. He leaves the slave trade. In fact, not only does he leave the slave trade, he he, he, uh, he has a dear friend named William Wilberforce, and he becomes part of the abolitionist movement, the anti-slave trade movement that uh, now in 1775, he, he's um, working with these guys to help outlaw slavery. So you could look back and see John Newton as one of the key guys in the movement to outlaw slavery. So you see, his life has changed. Here's a guy who goes from being in the slave trade to fighting the slave trade, from being a fighter and a brawler to someone who is for and good and right. And in the process, he writes a poem that gets set to song. And you know it. In fact, it, it reads something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Imagine there's a guy who rages, wildly violent, plots to murder his captain, loses his best friend, ready to be destroyed at sea. He writes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I bet that if you think about it, especially from the lens of modern day culture, he doesn't deserve to be saved. He deserved to be lost at sea. In fact, so did all of his shipmates and the captain. The apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, meaning there's nothing you did it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can I just pause and read that again to you? Or maybe just say it again to you? This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, a church that's coming out of a wild lifestyle like John's. They take advantage of people, they cheat people, they abuse people. They, they, do, they live in wild debauchery. 
He goes, that's what you were. And you and I were objects of wrath, deserving the judgment of God. He says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. As I read this, what stands out to you? This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's the key. To live grace, remember, not just get grace, live grace. To live grace means being rescued by God's generosity. Being rescued by God's generosity. I don't mean that it's some, you know, characteristic of God that reaches in to rescue you, but it's God's generosity that drove God to pursue you and rescue. Think about this. Imagine you and I were drowning in a flood. Well, you only really have two options. Here are your two options. You can save yourself or someone else can save you. Saving yourself, you're drowning. And understand, I'm trying to be sensitive here, but this is the reality, right? Imagine you're, you're lost at sea, you're drowning. You're, you're the shipmate thrown overboard. You can try really hard. You can swim harder. You can put your best effort into it. You can try to be enough to rescue yourself. And you and I know that's called religion. And religion, every religion, every religion has the same approach. You try harder. Now, they all have different ways you got to try harder. It's called works. That's your first option, works, your best efforts. You're going to earn your way. You're going to work your way. You're going to do something to make yourself good enough or get your way out of the flood and saved and to heaven and to, you know, um, into paradise. That's the first option. And you know as well as I do, it never works. You try harder and harder and harder and it never gets you out of the flood because a dying, uh, a dead man can't save themselves, right? Somebody who needs CPR cannot do CPR on themselves. We are in a hopelessly lost state when we're overboard in the flood of our own sin, judgment, shame, and guilt. So what did God do? God dove overboard. He dove from heaven to earth to step into our world, to step into the flood of our sin, our shame, and our judgment. So this is the other option, and it's called grace. So again, here's the two options. Your works or God's works, your best efforts, or God's best efforts. God dives from heaven to earth. It's how much he wanted you and loved you, that he was willing to step away from the perfection and beauty and wonder of heaven to come into our, not just our life, but our mess, to step into where we've walked. That's right, Jesus walked where you walk so that you can walk where he walks. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He dove into the floody mess of our lives. And then when we were completely helpless to do anything about it ourselves, he rescued us by his generosity. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, let me just pause right there. Maybe you can relate to John. Maybe you can relate to me. Maybe you can relate to the people of Ephesus. And you go, yep, 
No matter how hard I've tried, it's never been enough. Maybe you're beating yourself up because you feel like you've got to do better. You've got to work harder. You've got to be more religious. No, no, stop it. No amount of being good enough will ever get you out of the flood. What you and I need is simply for Jesus to take hold of our life and rescue us. And how do you invite Jesus to take hold of your life and rescue you out of the flood called sin? Faith. Simply believing in Jesus. And the moment that you believe in Jesus, that he is your Lord and he is your Savior, the moment you believe it, he rescues you, forgives you of sin. How? Because Jesus died on a cross. He didn't just jump in the flood. He took on the drowning. He took on the judgment, right? You think about John Newton. You think about his captain. You think about his friend that got blown overboard. Our hearts say they deserved it. So Jesus took everything they deserved on himself. He took everything you and I deserve on himself. Died in our place, which is just. It's right. Died in our place. And then Jesus rose from the dead so that in his resurrection, he triumphs over sin, over death, and over eternal judgment. So anybody who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new and forever life. If that's where you're at, you can say yes to Jesus right now by faith and receive God's generosity, the riches of God. If you're ready to make that decision right now, we're going to put the QR code up. Can I encourage you to scan that? Fill out the form and let us know that you're saying yes to Jesus right now. Look, this is, there's nothing you do. This is not religion. It's not your works. It's God's works. It's not your best efforts. It's God's effort. He did it all for you to rescue you, to love you, to give you new life. And the only thing you can do is say yes. Would you let us know that you're making that decision? Again, scan that QR code, fill out the form. Very quickly, one of our pastors is going to follow up with you to encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Now, I want you to sense that, right? You've been pulled out of the flood. You've been rescued, saved. Now, you're in the process of being rescued, being saved, meaning you were pulled from the flood of sin, but there's still this flood of sin working itself out in you. So God is in the process of rescuing you, process of saving you. And you're looking forward to the day when you will go into eternity, where you will be with God in paradise forever. You will be ultimately saved, ultimately rescued. So it's interesting that you and I were saved, right? We are saved. We are being saved, and we will be saved. You are rescued, you're being rescued, and you will be ultimately rescued. How? Why? Let me read it. He goes like this in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. I'll be really clear with you. It is God's love that saves you. What would it mean for you to know that God loves you? Some of you, you've, you've believed in Jesus your whole life or it's been many years since you said yes to Jesus. But do you remember his grace? I want you to know that you don't just receive grace. You live 
in grace. And to live in grace is to live in God's love. That God is good for you and God is good to you because God loves you. It's because of his great love for you that he saved you because he's rich in mercy. What does it mean for you to be loved by God? What would it mean for you to believe Jesus loves me? What would it mean for you to deeply believe that God loves you? Let me read the lyrics to the song again, written by John Newton, just some of the lyrics. And as I read them, I'm gonna read them slowly. Because what I'm hoping is that as I read them, a resounding statement begins to run in your heart. Jesus loves me. This I know. Listen to what John wrote. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Here's what I know about grace. As we read this verse, it says, it's because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, Mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin. In fact, mercy is an expression of grace. Mercy is an expression of God's generosity, right? Mercy is the idea of going to a judge and pleading for, don't give me what I deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Let me say it again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. God's, it's God's generosity that, we, that allows us to live in grace so that we don't get what we deserve. So stop believing that you should get what you deserve, that it's coming to you. Some of you keep beating yourself up. You keep living in fear. You keep living in regret. You keep living in shame. Shame is not from God. It's from Satan himself. If you're living in regret, you are allowing the lies of the enemy to bury you. Live in grace. Live grace. Live free. You do not have to carry what you deserve. You've been set free. You've been spiritually redeemed. You've been forgiven and made new. You no longer have to carry the fear of a judge condemning you. Now, does that mean that we're removed from all the consequences in this life? No, there are consequences to the things we've done wrong. But even if I'm living out the consequences, I am not living those out knowing that God is judging and condemning me. No, God loves me. And there's nothing I could do to earn it or deserve it, right? I didn't get myself out of this sin flood. God jumped in and rescued me. And he's rescuing me and he will rescue me. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So stop waiting to get what you deserve. And then the author continues, Paul says this in verse six. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He goes, it's, it's not just a rich mercy and a rich grace. God is rich toward you. God opens up the riches of heaven. Right? I said, I'm just a, a poor beggar who, who got the key to a, a storage unit and opened it up. And there is a vast, unlimited treasure that I just want to share with anyone and everyone. That's all I've got going for me. I want to share that with you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. Imagine that, that God is kind to you. I want you to know this. You will never outgrow your need for grace. But no matter how much grace you spend, there's always more grace waiting. But it's not just grace that you spend. Meaning it's not just God's riches towards you. It's God's riches through you. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's why we don't just get grace. We live grace because we get grace to give grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And when I get what I don't deserve, I share what I don't deserve. Grace is God's incomparable riches available to you so that his incomparable riches flow through you. I want you to know that you will, as I said, you will never outgrow your need for grace. I need grace. I need your grace. You need my grace. And the only way that I'm going to get grace from you is if you have grace from God. The only way you get grace from me is if that grace flows from heaven. Be conduits of grace. Remember that you will always need grace. You are the expression of grace. You're not loved by God because of anything you did, because you deserve it, because you earned it, because you're religious, because you regularly show up at church, because you memorize some prayers, because you've read the Bible through several times, because you can sing on pitch. No, no, no. None of us, nothing we do is because we're good enough. Always because Jesus dove in and rescued us by his grace. And the only thing we did was received it by faith. And because we received it by faith, we've been, our life was accessed or open to the riches of the incomparable riches of God, grace. And now that grace in me flows through me. That's it. That's it. You and I, the church is an expression of grace. I promise you there will be days ahead when I'll need your grace. There'll be days ahead when you need grace from me. And that grace only comes from God. So let's do this. Let's pray. Where do you need grace? Where do you need to give grace? Heavenly Father, thank you that instead of crushing us under the, the gavel of judgment, you allowed Jesus and you sent Jesus from heaven to earth to dive into the flood of our sin, to give his life as the payment for our sin, to absorb our judgment, then to rise triumphantly from the dead, to give us victory over death, and that when we believe in Jesus by faith, we live grace. 
not getting what we do deserve and getting what we didn't deserve. Thank you for grace. God, the same grace we get, may we give. Thank you. Thank you that you love each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I invite you to stand with me right now? You're at one of our campuses. Thank you for being here. You're joining us online. Hey, stand. Let's sing this out. Let's make this song a declaration. We're singing about grace. Grace to grace because that's what we need in our life. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.